Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Isaiah, the first chapter. And that's going to be your cue to open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 1 as we're going to work from that passage extensively today. We'll, we'll look at some other passages along the way, but we'll just keep coming back to Isaiah chapter 1 as we work together for these next few minutes in the Word of God. I appreciate so very much the opportunity to stand before you today and to present some things from the Word of God. It's a beautiful spring day. It is the Lord's day. And I'm so thankful for the chance that I have uh, to be able to open up God's Word and to spend some time with you in this way. Let's read together in Isaiah chapter 1. The prophet here is speaking on behalf of God. And he says the following in Isaiah 1, beginning in verse 18, Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is... What is the very best invitation you have ever received? That invitation where you went to the mailbox and you opened it up and you pulled out the envelope and there it was. You had been invited to come and to share and to take part in some special event. Maybe it was a wedding invitation where you opened up that envelope and inside there were like two more envelopes. Ladies, you'll have to explain why that is for wedding invitations. But then once you finally got to the center, there it was. You have been cordially invited to come and to take part and to share in our special day. Oh, that's, that's pretty great. Or maybe if you're a young person, maybe it was getting an invitation to a birthday party. Some friends at school was having a birthday party and you got invited to come to, to Chuck E. Cheese or to Mr. Gaddy's and to enjoy all the fun of a memorable, memorable day. Or maybe it was something as simple as, as just getting a text message from somebody that said, Hey, we're going to the park at 7.30 this evening. Do you want to come? And you were just so glad and so just excited to be included in that. What's the best invitation you have ever received? Are you thinking of something? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't care how good that invitation was. It's not as good as this one here in Isaiah chapter 1. Because in Isaiah chapter 1, we get an invitation from God Himself. The Creator of the universe, the everlasting and almighty God and Father of all, as He extends an invitation to sinners. And I'm going to submit to you that what we're looking at here in Isaiah chapter 1 is absolutely the best invitation you will ever receive. Through the voice of His prophet, God gives you and I the opportunity to hear His offer and to then accept His one-of-a-kind invitation. And I don't know about you, but I want to know about that invitation. I want to know everything that I can about what that invitation is. And where do I need to go? What do I need to do in order to get that, to receive that, to accept an invitation from God Himself? In fact, you maybe have experienced this before. Have you ever extended an invitation to someone to come to your house or to be a part of some kind of an event? And they refuse that invitation. They decline that invitation. That, that doesn't feel good, does it? That stings a little bit. That hurts us. Can I ask you, who wants to do that to God? 
Who wants to offend and hurt God? Who wants to do something to turn down God's invitation? I don't want to be guilty of that. I want to know. I want to understand everything that I can about heaven's invitation so that I can know exactly how to respond to it. And this morning, that's exactly what we want to do for the next few minutes from Isaiah chapter 1. The greatest invitation that you and I will ever receive. Because in Isaiah chapter 1, listen to me, God is inviting you, yes you, to accept His offer for salvation. Are you ready for that? Let's just start that by pointing out, number one, that God is the one who's taken the initiative here. That He is the one doing the extending. Can we just back up a little bit in the chapter? Would you look at what God says earlier in Isaiah chapter 1, kind of leading up to this great invitation? In Isaiah 1, look there beginning in verse 2. Here the prophet says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Oh, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Who is it? Who is it that these people are that get extended this invitation to? Who are these people? Well, according to this passage, these are people who are in trouble. These are people who are in sin. These are people who are headed down a road of certain destruction. And amazingly, God does not just leave them high and dry. Instead, God is proactive. God takes the initiative. God is offering them an alternative to the road that they're heading down. And i got to tell you, I find that to be truly amazing. You know, do you remember when you were a kid? If you had siblings and you'd get into a fight or you'd argue with your brother or with your sister and finally mama would have to intervene because man it's just getting really really bad and you're just as mad as you could be and finally mama would separate you and she'd say say you're sorry to your brother say you're sorry to your sister and what would you say? You'd say he has to say it first Now, I'm not exactly sure why being the first apologizer is such a big deal when you're a kid, but but it is an enormous point. I'm not budging. I'm standing my ground. You make him say it first. He makes the first move. And you know what? The Lord says, I understand that that's how you're going to be. I know that that's exactly how you're going to be, so you know what? I'll go first. I am going to make the first move here. Because if I sit back and I wait on you to make the first move, let's be honest, most of us, most of us probably aren't going to make that first move. Which is why God is the one who issues the invitation. It is why Luke 19 verse 10 says that Jesus came to seek, to seek and save the lost. God is always the one taking the initiative. God is always the one doing the seeking. God is always the one making the first move toward sinners. And why does He do that? He does that because He loves us. Despite the fact, verse 2, that we rebel against Him. Despite the fact, verse 4, that we are laden with iniquity. 
We have forsaken the Lord. God still loves us fiercely. And so He takes the initiative and He says, I am looking for you. Yes, you. Are you a sinner? If you can understand the words coming out of my mouth right now, then chances are pretty good you are a sinner. Which means that you are right here in Isaiah chapter 1. And so God is making an appeal to you. He has taken the first step by offering you an invitation. And what exactly is that invitation? Well, I think there's three components to that invitation. First and foremost, it is an invitation to reason together. Notice verse 18 again. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God says, let's talk. Let's discuss some things. In fact, the Hebrew term here literally means to present an argument as in a court of law. That is, you're going to say some things, then I'm going to say some things, and we're going to use our minds to reason together about this matter. And I think this is a point that needs to be emphasized in our day and time. Because this invitation that God extends, it's not just about feelings and emotion. It's about thinking. Verse 18 does not say, come now, let's have a big emotional experience together. That's not what verse 18 says. But unfortunately, in our day and time, being spiritual has become almost synonymous with some ideas of emotions and emotional outpourings. People talk all the time about having an emotionally breathtaking, lightning struck me and it changed everything kind of experience and that's how I got saved. But that isn't anywhere in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1 verse 18 says that we're going to reason together. That is, we're going to put our minds to work and we're going to do some thinking. Now, I understand, I understand that emotions are important. You maybe have noticed, if you've ever heard or seen me preach before, I do tend to get a little bit emotional. I've known to shed a few tears in the pulpit and get all excited and worked up. I understand about that. But the Bible says that emotions are not what drives the train here. It is thinking biblically. It is truth. It is an understanding of truth that causes everything else to happen in accepting God's invitation. Would you hold your place here in Isaiah and look with me in the book of Acts? In Acts chapter 24, I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. In Acts, Actually, first of all, look at Acts 17. Let's start with Acts 17. In Acts 17... Here is the preaching of the gospel being done by the Apostle Paul in the city of Thessalonica. And so we're told in Acts 17, beginning in verse 2, that as Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he did what? He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Do you see here? This wasn't about having some emotional outpouring. No, it was about we're going to get into the Word of God and we're going to hear what the Scriptures have to say. We'll see that again. Look now in Acts 24. In Acts chapter 24, this is the Apostle Paul once more. And he's not standing in front of a large group as in Thessalonica. Now he's standing before just one person it seems. He's standing before the governor Felix. And so we're told in Acts chapter 24, this is verse 25. Acts 24, 25, that as he reasoned about righteousness... 
and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and he said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Do you see there? Do you see that when you reason with people from the truth, it will provoke an emotional response. But we need to understand that God does not start with, Hey, let's have a big emotional high. Hey, let me just work up a big spiritual pep rally here. No, that's not where God begins. God begins with, let us reason together. Let's think about this. Let's make an appeal to the mind. And that is why here at the Lakeside Congregation, we are so very much about the Bible. We're just Bible everything. Everything is just built upon, centered around the Bible. We have Bible studies and Bible teaching and Bible classes. We have Bible drills with the kids, vacation Bible school where the emphasis is on the Bible. Bible preaching dominates our worship services as we are in the text of Scripture seeing what the Bible says. Every year we put out a Bible reading schedule. We are all about the Bible. Because when you understand about sin and about Jesus and about salvation and about eternity, well, that's the basis for real life change. When we know who God is, when we learn what God wants, when we draw close to Him through His written revelation, then we have built something solid that we can stand upon in our relationship with the Lord. And that is why, as I turn back to Isaiah chapter 1, God invites us to reason together. He says, hey, let's talk this over. You know, give me a chance here, God says. I have some things that I would really, really like for you to consider, to give some weight to. You know what? You can come as you are. You come as a penitent sinner before me, and I will wash you clean. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And that is the second part of this invitation. And that is that God is offering, God is offering to forgive you of your sins. As one writer noted, this verse contains both the problem man has and the promised remedy of God. It is a remedy for mankind's greatest evil, the problem of sin. Though your sins be as scarlet. You know, when's the last time, when's the last time you heard the word sin? used in the media today. You know, all the time we see celebrities and famous athletes and politicians getting into trouble, getting into things that are uh, of of ill repute, things that are uh, just devious and terrible. And of course, they then have to make the rounds on the talk show circuit or they have their publicist put out some kind of a press release. And what do those things often say? They often say things along the lines of, well, I'm sorry that I misspoke. Or I'm sorry that I was misunderstood and you took it that way. I apologize if I hurt anyone. But you don't ever, hardly ever hear anybody say, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. Don't hear that kind of language. Don't hear people say, this was wrong. I knew the right thing to do and I didn't do it. Instead, I chose to do the wrong thing. I'm a sinner. It's just not part of people's vocabulary these days. Yet unfortunately, it's not just politicians and movie stars and famous athletes that have trouble with acknowledging that I am a sinner. No, it's, it's all of us. It's everybody. 
All of us struggle with that. All of us struggle with the truth of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And that is why God's invitation isn't really making headlines. You know, you're not going to pull your newspaper out tomorrow morning and on the headline it's going to say, Amazing! God offers a plan of salvation. God offers forgiveness from sins. That ought to be the headline, but it's not going to be the headline. People aren't flocking here to this church building. People aren't blowing up my phone asking, Hey, preacher, tell me about salvation. Tell me about forgiveness from sin. People aren't doing that. Because the truth of the matter is, God's invitation isn't about how to get rich quick. God's invitation isn't about how to lose 30 pounds in 30 days. God's invitation isn't about how to make your business grow. No. God's invitation is about how you can recognize that you're a sinner and that you are in desperate need of the forgiveness of God. And I'll say again, that's just an invitation that most people just aren't interested in. Not because they're not a sinner. No, there ain't anybody in that category. The next person that I meet who says, I have never sinned, they'll be the first. I think everybody understands to some degree that they've done wrong. Why then aren't more people interested in God's invitation? I'll tell you why. It's because it's because people don't want to think about that. We don't. I don't want to have that label attached to me, the label of sinner. I don't want to be accused of having sinned against God. I don't want people to think of me as someone who has committed sin. I don't even want to think about my sins. Those sins are embarrassing. They are shameful. They are reluctant to be recalled to my memory. There are just some chapters in our lives that we do not want to revisit or to have published. Maybe sometimes people will offer up some feeble excuses like, well, I was just born that way. Or, you know, I just really couldn't help myself. Everybody was doing it. But mostly, I suspect, most people don't even offer those excuses because they're not even thinking about their sins. Or they're not thinking about them long enough to even muster up an excuse. They just don't want to think about it. And so, they don't. I'm not going to. I won't. But here's the key, and Isaiah chapter 1 shows this. The key here is that God is thinking about your sin. Even if you don't want to, God is thinking about it. God is thinking about my sin. God is very aware of who we are and what we have done. And just because I choose to ignore the reality of my sin doesn't mean that God will. Just because I stick my fingers in my ear, la, 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 I don't want to hear this stuff about being a sinner doesn't mean that the Lord does. You know, when you play peekaboo with a little kid, got a newborn baby less than a week old now, you do peekaboo with a little kid, what's that little kid think when you're doing peekaboo? What are they thinking? Well, what they're thinking is, is they're thinking that, oh, since I can't see you, well, then obviously you can't see me. Hey, it's the ultimate in stealth technology here. Look, I'm gone. Hey, wow, that's amazing how that works. But while that's kind of cute when you're a baby... That doesn't work when you're grown up. Can I just say as kindly yet as forcefully as I can to anyone this morning who is listening to me who has not yet accepted God's invitation, can I just say to you very clearly, grow up. You need to grow up. 
Stop pretending that just because you refuse to look inwardly at your sins that that means that they're all gone. That God can't see them. As if God's playing peekaboo with you and He's ignoring them because you're ignoring them. No, that's not so. The invitation of Isaiah chapter 1 makes very clear. God knows. He knows it all. He knows our sins. It is a clear and forceful announcement that God has seen our sin. He is not fooled. He is not blind. He will not pretend that what we have done is of so little consequence that He doesn't even need to do anything about that. He can just kind of let that just brush right off of His shoulder. No, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 1, He says, your sins are like scarlet. They are red like crimson. Have you ever seen someone with blood all over their face? You can't ignore that. It is obvious. It is clear. And in the same way, God sees. He sees your wickedness. He sees my iniquity. He sees our rebellion. He sees every last dirty detail. And still, and still He offers to forgive us of those sins. If, verse 19, if you are willing to, and obedient. And that is the third important part of this invitation. And that is that it is an invitation to obey God. That's what this invitation is about. It's about obeying the Lord. Now, somebody would maybe be inclined to say, well, you know, Josh, if, if God is so interested in forgiving sinners, then, well, then why does He just do it? You know, I mean, he has the power to do that. He's God, after all. He can do whatever he pleases. If he wants something, well, then God gets what he wants, right? Actually, actually, no, the prophet says. Because this is an invitation, not an ultimatum. There's a difference in those two things, do you see? The dominant words in verse 18 are reason and sin. But the dominant word in verses 19 and 20 is what? The dominant word in those verses is if. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What Isaiah is talking about here is he is talking about obedience to God and that that is something that God will not force upon you. He won't. God will not make you do that. Even though God is sovereign, even though He is all-powerful, even though He is almighty, even though He longs to bring you into His family to forgive you of your sins, you need to understand that He will not override your free will. He will not override your freedom to choose. You and I were created in God's image. And part of that means that we have the capacity to think and to reason and yes, to choose. To choose to love God and to do what's right or to choose not to love God and to do what is wrong. The choice is ours. God won't force your decision. To do so would wreck and it would void everything. God made the first move. Yes, that's absolutely true. But now the ball is squarely in your court. And in my court, we must decide. We must respond to God's grace. We must longingly answer His call in the prophet's words. We must be willing and obedient. 
And can I just make a note here about what's not in verses 19 and 20? Would you please look very carefully in your text and I want you to notice that it does not say if you are willing and you go to church. That's not what Isaiah verse 19 and 20 says. Church is not in that passage. You read that right. This is not, this is not what being willing and obedient is all about. And yet even as I say that, that is what a lot of people think that obedience really means. That okay, I did some bad things on Monday... I did some more bad things on Tuesday. Boy, I did some really bad things on Saturday night. And so what do I need to do? What I need to do is I need to get down to church on Sunday morning. That's what I need to do. I need to do my penance to the Lord. Did bad things. Going to cancel that out by going to church on Sunday. I came to church. I sat through a long sermon where the preacher railed hard against sin. And he was really tough on us for doing the wrong that we did. And you know what? That's what I deserve. It is. I deserve every bit of that. I'm a sinner. I did wrong through the week. But you know what? I came to church on Sunday and I paid my penance for the bad things that I did. No. No. Never. Not in a million years. And I want you to understand that that thinking, that's certainly not a new thing. That kind of thinking dates all the way back to the time of Isaiah. If you're still here in Isaiah chapter 1, look in verse 10. In verse 10, that's the way those people thought. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 10. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates, God says. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. You see what God's saying there? God says, I am tired of people who live how they want to live Monday through Saturday. And then they come to church on Sunday and they think that, oh, well that makes it all better. God says, it makes me sick. It sickens me to my very stomach. And yet the sad reality is there's a lot of people today who think that they can fix their sin problem by by coming to church. You think about it. We come on a Sunday, we sit down and listen to God's Word being preached and oh man, preach hard at us and it, it just pounds away at our sin. And we observe the Lord's Supper and we think some thoughts about Jesus and that kind of pulls and tugs at our hearts. We sing some songs about heaven and that that kind of pulls us in the direction of eternity. And we do all of that and we make ourselves a little promise after all of that that hey, I'm going to do better and then off we go. It's all good, God. I went to church today. I worshipped you today. No, it isn't, says the Lord. Sin taints worship. Bad living Monday through Saturday makes for bad worship on Sunday. Sin is not something 
that we can just shed for a little while, kind of like the snake sheds its skin. I'm going to shed that skin during that period of time that I'm worshiping God. And then as soon as the final amen is said, I'm going to put my skin back on and I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing beforehand. And during a sermon, Isaiah says, that won't pay for sin. Coming to church, worshiping for an hour, that is not the same as repentance. Be ye willing and obedient, the Lord says. That's talking about being obedient to all of God's will. Not just God's will on Sunday. And I want you to please notice that by being willing and obedient, the emphasis is there on the mind and then on the actions. Willing means that we consent, we agree mentally, we acknowledge that we have done wrong, that we are sinners, that we are in need of divine forgiveness. But then he says, not only need to be willing to engage the mind, but then he says, and obedient. Obey means I'm now going to live God's way. Real change. I'm going to do differently. I'm not just going to think about it. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm not just going to do some wishful thinking or even make some promises about that. No! Verse 19 is talking about doing it. Where my will is engaged in action, otherwise... Otherwise, nothing ever really happens. Heaven's invitation is that you will engage your will and that you will come to God in a spirit of humility and repentance so that He can indeed forgive your sins. That's what this invitation is all about. And I'll say once more, it is the greatest invitation that you and I will ever, ever receive. It is an invitation that will change your life. And more importantly, if you accept it, it will change your eternity. What is it about this invitation that is hindering you? Why is it that there are still people who have not yet accepted this invitation? You know, Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7 that few are going to accept this invitation Whereas many are going to reject it. They are going to decline it. Why is that? What's the problem? What's the hold-up? What's the hang-up? Well, I'll tell you what I believe it is. I believe it's one of two things. I believe it's either a matter of fear or it's a matter of pride. I think a lot of times with young people, it's the former. I think it's a fear thing. I think many young people, they want to accept this invitation but they just have some fears and some reservations. They're afraid to walk down the aisle. They're afraid to go say something to the preacher or to mom and dad or to somebody else who can assist them in accepting that invitation. They're fearful as they think down the stream of time of trying to live 60, 70, 80 years. How am I going to be faithful through all that time? I just don't know that I can do that. They're afraid. And I will even say from my own experience for the first nearly 16 years of my life, that was my hang-up. I was just afraid. Can I say, if that describes you, don't let fear use intimidation to keep you from doing what you know you need to do today to accept the Lord's invitation. What may be a little bit more of a challenge, though, are people who are listening to the sound of my voice right now. They've heard this invitation from Isaiah chapter 1. And the problem's not so much a fear thing. No, the problem is a pride thing. People who are too proud to accept the invitation. Too proud to recognize that they are a sinner in need of forgiveness. 
Too proud to acknowledge that the path that they've been walking on, the way that they've been doing business with God, that it just doesn't work, that it is leading to a dead end. They're too proud to surrender their stubborn will to the will of God. I really don't know what else to say to someone who is being hindered by pride to accept this invitation. The only thing that I know to do is to just repeat that same warning that Isaiah repeats in verse 20 when he says there, If you refuse and rebel, you will be eaten by the sword. That's talking about destruction. That's talking about damnation. And what it's time for right now is it is time for you, if that describes you, it's time for you to sacrifice your pride. It's time for you to knock down whatever wall that is that's standing between you and accepting God's invitation. It is time right now for you to say yes to what the Lord has offered. And let me just say, just as a personal invitation, if I in some way can be of assistance in helping you to respond and to accept God's gracious invitation, would you please let me know? Call me, leave a comment, send an email, do something to make known, I want to accept God's offer. Let's do something about that. Would you pray with me as we close? Our dear God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you thanking you once again for the power of your word and for this gracious offer that you extended through the mouth of your prophet so long ago. Father, we thank you for loving us even when we were very unlovable. We thank you for taking the initiative to reconcile us to you. Father, we praise you for the wisdom and for the execution of your great plan to redeem sinners like us. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to be more thankful and to be more eager to share your invitation of salvation with the people that we come into contact with. Father, we know that there are many who have yet to accept your offer, people that we even love very, very dearly. And so we ask that your mercy and that your patience would continue just a little while longer so that they may come to their senses and that they can be obedient to your will. Father, we thank you most of all for your son Jesus, through whom your redemptive work is made possible. And it is in his holy name that we offer this prayer. And amen.